Father in heaven, do not hold back any good thing from us. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and revive us again, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message is called The Wounds of a Whisperer. The Wounds of a Whisperer. Atul Gawande, who used to be the chief resident at Mass General Hospital in Boston, used to live just about a mile and a half from there, he released a book some time ago called Better. In this book, he tells a story of various doctors descending upon endemic-stricken India in a race against time. A polio endemic was rapidly spreading, and due to the enormous population and geographical area that each doctor had to cover, time was of the essence in each case. No time for compassion. No time for chit-chat. No time for tourism. Go see the Taj Mahal. The doctor must be in and out, literally stick and move. In a certain village, a Muslim woman refused the vaccine. The doctor insisted twice more to no avail, thus he moved on without even warning of the potential consequences. Shortly thereafter, this same woman was visited by a neighbor who asked her if she saw the white-coated men with the vaccine. The woman seemed startled. What vaccine? There was a rumor that this was all a trick of the Hindus who were trying to poison our Muslim children. So I refused it, the woman said. As they turned toward her son, as he crawled, his arms moved, but his legs dragged behind. He was ever to suffer the wounds of a whisperer. Gossip has always been dangerous. Whether the content was true or not, its insidious power to destroy relationships stands virtually unparalleled. Solomon breathed a saying on this particular subject, which will eventually land us at the very heart of the circumstances that have raised up the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16. Proverbs, chapter 16. When you're there, could you say amen? Proverbs chapter 16, and we're going to look at verse 28. Very simple message, one text. The Bible says in verse 28 that a perverse man sows strife, and the whisperer separates the best of friends. You see, this is simple, but it is far-reaching. It is important to always keep in mind when you're studying the Bible what kind of literature you are looking at. This is important so that you don't read Genesis like it's Revelation and read Revelation like it's Genesis. Some people read the book of Genesis and everything is, is about some prophetic symbol. Oh, this represents this and this represents that. Genesis is not an apocalyptic book. It is a narrative. It is historical narrative. Real people in real circumstances. Adam and Eve were not like, oh, it's going to be a serpent because this will represent, in Revelation chapter 12, that old serpent. No, it was just a literal serpent. And she was literally experiencing temptation. And the world was literally hanging in the balances. But Revelation, when it says, oh, a beast came up from the sea. It's not talking about a literal beast. This thing is not some, you know, gargoyle-looking figure and says this is what John saw, but we recognize that one of the characteristics of apocalyptic prophetic literature is symbolism. It's what? Symbolism. So you should expect when you're reading Daniel and Revelation to find things that are symbolic, like seven spirits before the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4, or there's the lamb bleeding before the throne of God. Do we really believe that there is an actual lamb that is bleeding before the throne of God in heaven and everyone starts worshiping this lamb. Like a little ba-ba-ba black sheep kind of lamb. We don't believe that. We understand it is symbolic. 
And so when we study the Bible, we must be very, very careful not to look at what, what we're analyzing outside of the literature that we are looking at. So in the book of Proverbs, this particular literature is poetic. And Hebrew poetry is very different than our poetry. When we do poetry, we say things like, roses are red, violets are blue, I love Korean camp meeting, and so do you. <laughs> and we say, oh, that's poetic, he's being poetic. Why? Because it rhymes. But the reality is, is that it is the repetition of sound that cues our ears that this person's trying to be a little bit artistic with their words. But in the Bible times, poetry was not about repetition of sound, but repetition of thought. So the same way that we say roses are red, violets are blue, I love camp meetings, so do you. The you and the blue are repetition of certain sounds. There's a pattern that is created. But in the Bible, when you're studying Proverbs, Psalms, even parts of Genesis, even parts of the prophetic books, they are poetic, not just prophetic. And therefore, we should expect this kind of parallelism. And there's different kinds. But I don't want to turn this into a Hebrew poetry class. So, to jump now and apply this to our text in Proverbs chapter 16, in verse 28, the question is, what kind of parallelism are we dealing with? Does the first line contrast the second line? Does the second line build off of the first line? Or is they repeating the same thought in different ways? That's our question. Now, the Bible says, a perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Now here's a question. Is there a difference between strife and separating friends? Are those different things? They kind of sound similar, don't they? Does anybody know what it's like to have strife? In order to have strife, you need people involved. And they need to have a relationship of some kind. And in that relationship, there's something that causes conflict in their relationship. And that's what we call strife. So to sow strife or to separate the best of friends, they are the same thing. And then he says, oh, a perverse man sows strife and a whisperer. So now you have a perverse man and a whisperer being compared. They're basically the same thing. So in looking at this verse, we are not looking at something that's trying to tell us, oh, this one is contrasting. No, he's telling us the same thing in different words. So let's make some observations here. First off, when we look at the text, we can conclude that Solomon sees a person who gossips the same as a whisperer, as a person who is a perverse man. A perverse man means somebody who is corrupt, who has no moral integrity. This person is dangerous. And he says there's no difference between a person who gossips and a person who is corrupt, who is a perverse man. In the similarity of these things, he goes on to say, secondly, that strife is the intention of the, perverse, of the perverse man. Now, why do I get that? The Bible says in verse 28 that a perverse man sows strife. Now, when a farmer goes out to sow something, does he accidentally sow seed? No, you don't accidentally sow apples or peaches. If you're sowing them, you're expecting a harvest to come. There's sowing and there's reaping. But you don't reap what you do not sow. So here when he says, a perverse man is sowing strife. In other words, this man is intentionally creating problems. Did you know there are people in our world that literally seek out to divide people in relationships? There are actual people in your life and in my life that want people to be separated who are the best of friends. There are people that say things to discredit other individuals and that want there to be strife and conflict, problems and pain and hurtful words to be spoken. They want this. And the Bible says this is not something that is uncommon to God and God acknowledges it as something that is in existence. But we have to continue on. Thirdly, we can also notice that even the closest relationships cannot always bear the weight of gossip. You can be so close, 
father and son, husband and wife, brother and sister, best friends since you were little. And all it takes is one thing of gossip, and it can separate the best of friends. I can tell you right now that there's a lot of churches that are suffering because of gossip. There's a lot of Korean churches that exist because of gossip. Somebody should have said amen. amen. I preached at them. Oh, Brother Sebastian, we, you know, we separated from that church. Do you take that as a medal to wear on your chest? We're that church that separated. That's not a good thing. To say that you're the church that broke off because there were so many problems or we couldn't get along with these people and that person. And when I remember, I went to preach in Chicago for a unity day of three Korean churches that have never met in eight years until I came there to preach. So you had kids who were friends, but because their parents were on different sides of the issue, they weren't able to talk. Other kids... They were good friends, they went to the same high school, played basketball on the same team, couldn't hang out because his dad was on a different side of the issue. Can you imagine the reason you and your best friend can't get along is because your parents can't get along. You can't even see him, you can't talk to them. If you talk to that family, you are betraying me as your father. Imagine the weight of that. It's like, dad, I'm only 13, can I just deal with algebra? But even the closest relationships cannot bear the weight of gossip. He goes on to also add, fourthly, that often the gossiper's work is done quietly. Where do we get that? You see, the Bible says in verse 28 that a whisperer. See, to use that term whisperer, that means it's not broadcast out loud, right? It kind of defeats the point of being gossip at that point. You come up in front of the whole church and say, I just want you to know that such and such did this and did this and did that. Well, it's not really gossip. Everybody knows, and we know who said it. So the whole point of being a whisperer, you, you envision in your mind some dark corner, some dark place. It's just you two. You lower your voice when you're sharing. Did I tell you that such and such was? That's how we gossip. We want to make sure people in the other room don't hear us. Or someone might just walk in. Or we don't want to tell you on text message. Let me call you. Because if it's in writing, you can forward that. This is what she said about you. Forward. Listen, I was in business. We understand politics. Certain things you don't put in writing. If you put it in writing, it is forever immortalized. You don't know where that email can go. So I was always taught when you apologize, if you admit to anything, you do it orally. You never write it down. The situation may resolve, but the writing will continue to be shared. And so, it's a whisperer. And the last point is, whispering, the Bible says, leads to bickering. Gossip leads to arguments, conflict, fighting, discord, and even controversy. When we look at these concepts that Solomon is sharing we could go as far back as time itself. Because you realize that the divisiveness of a whisperer is as old as heaven itself. It is even older than this world. Gossip traces its origin all the way back to heaven before the world was even created. Because there was a time when Lucifer served heaven as the light bearer, as the cherub that covereth, all the angels trusted that whatever Lucifer told you, it was coming straight from the throne of God. And guess what? Lucifer and Jesus were the best of friends. Did you know that LOI says that next to Jesus, there was no higher created being? Think about this. Christ is creator, so there's no, there's no one higher than him. But that Lucifer is the highest created being. She said, when God, when Jesus made Lucifer, he tried to make a being as close to himself as he could without making a God, because a God can't be created. You need to process that in your mind. So when Jesus looks at Lucifer, you're thinking to yourself, he's like, I want to get as close to myself as possible. 
I literally want this being to be in my image. When people see Lucifer, they should be like, man, it's hard. Is that Lucifer or is that Christ? To tell the difference between them. That's how he made him. Not just in how he looked, but in his power, in his wisdom, in his spirit, in his bearing, as an angel. And they were the best of friends. Yet when Lucifer, out of jealousy and pride, he turned into a whisperer. Because we are told that as Lucifer sat in that room, the question he could not overcome was why is Christ exalted above Lucifer? He just couldn't overcome that question. I don't understand why Jesus is exalted above me. And, and for a second, you can't blame him because you are as close to Christ as any being can possibly come. Maybe you're like, for all intents and purposes, Jesus and I are the same. If you were here for the sermon this morning, you, you know what I you know what I mean by that statement. And this is Lucifer's mind. For all intents and purposes, we're basically the same. But the reality is, they were not. And so Lucifer turns into a whisperer, and he separates the best of friends. But it wasn't just Lucifer. Then you have a third of the angels cast out of heaven. And in the third of these angels that are cast out of heaven by the tail of the dragon, by Lucifer himself. Here it wasn't enough for Lucifer to be separated from Christ. She goes on to tell us in story of redemption that the angels thought to themselves, man, we should go back. We should just go apologize and say, look, this was all a misunderstanding. You know what Lucifer told the angels? If you go back, Jesus will not accept you. Sound familiar to somebody in here? You've gone too far. You've done too much. Listen, after all of this, there's no possible way Jesus will accept you. He's still selling that same lie today at a discount. And people buy it every day. Oh, there's no way I can go back to Christ after I did this, after I did that. I was preaching in Hagerstown at a, at a conference. A whole bunch of Korean youth were there. A guy came up to me and he said, I need you to talk to my friend because he essentially feels like he's committed the unpardonable sin. He thinks that he sinned and therefore this is it. God cannot accept him. So I said, sure, I'll talk to him. I thought it was on the phone. The guy was standing out in the woods. So we went out into the woods. We started talking. I said, my understanding is you think you've committed the unpardonable sin. Is that correct? He said, yes, I do. I said, why? What is the unpardonable sin? He says, well, you don't understand. I grew up in the church. I've been fighting God all this time. I curse God. I raise my fist to heaven. You know, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I have gone too far. So for me, I feel like basically my probation is closed. I'm done. It's over for me. And I said, why would you say that? He says, because I feel like God doesn't talk to me. I don't get anything out of any sermons or Bible studies or any spiritual events that I go to. And I said, that's so interesting because the very fact that you feel like you committed the unpardonable sin is the number one evidence that you haven't. He looked at me confused. I said, do you know what the unpardonable sin is? I said, the unpardonable sin is attributing the work of Christ to the work of Satan. When you get to the point that you think conviction is bad, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, the very fact you're feeling this right now is evidence that your heart is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. A person who committed the unpardonable sin will look at you blankly like, don't you understand? It would be wrong for me to surrender my life to Christ. These are people who are in Revelation 16 suffering the seven last plagues. And the Bible says after they've been burned up by the sun with boils, even then they refuse to give him glory. These are people even under torture and pain of the plagues like Pharaoh. They will not submit to Christ and honor him. And guess who that came from? Lucifer. Because the last thing he told the angels was, I will never again bow to Jesus. That's what he told them. 
he swore he would never kneel to Christ. And you're thinking to yourself, how could Lucifer and Christ become separated when they were the best of friends? The Bible told you, a whisperer. But you know what gets me? His early writing says, one day Lucifer actually had second thoughts. <laughs> he was kicked out of heaven. And the angels had left him, right? He left the angels and he flew back to the gate of heaven by himself. He didn't even bring them. And he told the, the angel at the door, I want to have a meeting with Jesus. So Jesus came to the gate to meet Lucifer. And Lucifer said, listen, I messed up. I made a mistake. I want to come back. I'll accept my position, whatever you give to me. She says, Jesus started weeping. He said, Lucifer, it's too late. It's too late. And here is Christ looking at the closest thing to himself that he's ever made. And he was suffering the wounds of a whisperer. Because the devil's going around saying God's law can't be trusted. God is only out for himself. He's exalting Christ above me unfairly. Jesus is not God. He's not equal to the Father. All these lies. Just so he himself can be exalted. And there Christ weeping for the very first time for a lost soul. And the first soul to be cried over was Lucifer. Because he was the first one lost. And there Christ was suffering the wounds of a whisperer. And she says that the devil almost had second thoughts. And then the angels came back and said, Lucifer, we'll support you. And she says because of his pride, he decided to go forward with the plans to kill Christ. It's unbelievable. So you talk about the wounds of a whisperer. But then we look at our Eden home. And Adam and Eve and Jesus were the best of friends. But all of a sudden a serpent showed up, started whispering in Eve's ear, has not God said that you should eat of every tree of the garden? You shall not surely die. This guy didn't have a megaphone in the garden. You know he was whispering. Ellen White says the voice of the serpent was musical. It was almost enchanting to her. So as he's talking to her in his very sweet, melodious voice, you shall not surely die, but you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. And there the woman eats that fruit, deceived, and runs to her husband. And can you imagine the horror on Adam's face when he sees his wife with this fruit? And he's thinking to himself, what has she done? She says, Adam, guess what? God can't be trusted. I ate the food. I'm still alive. You don't have to follow that. You should try it. I actually think I've gotten to a higher level. She sounds like these modern day Buddhists. I've gotten to nirvana. It's like, I feel I'm myself exalted to some higher level. You have to try the food. And now Adam has to make a decision. Here his own marriage, his home, the family of humanity is at stake. And why is he in this position? Because of the wounds of a whisperer. And he decides, not according to a lie, but because Adam had to make a decision. Either I trust my experience, my feelings, my eyes, my hands, my sense of smell, tell me my wife is alive, or I trust the word of God. And unfortunately, he pulled the Romeo and Juliet. Well, let's just die together. You fool. You didn't just take your wife. You took every child who was abused. Every person who died in genocide. Every person murdered on an inner city. With you, with that decision. We do not understand the implications and the far-reaching pain that comes through gossip. Because of the wounds of the whisperer. But you think that's not enough. 
Because now you're saying to yourself, and I could go from person to person, relationship to relationship. David and Saul, because some girls were singing, David has his 10,000 and Saul has his thousands. From that day, the Bible says, Saul feared David and he sought to kill him. 27 times in the book of 1 Samuel. Why? Because of a whisperer. Here Jacob suffers the grief of a father who thinks he's lost his beloved son to a wild animal. And why is Jacob grieving all this time? Thinking Joseph is dead. The wounds of a whisperer. But then you may think to yourself, well, it's so easy to correct gossip, right? It's so easy to clean this up. So all I got to do is go back to the person and say, listen, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to say this. I was totally out of line. I overstepped. I apologize. Let me clear it up. It is not this. It is this. But guess what? The cross of Jesus tells us, in case we want to know, what is it? What are the lengths you may have to go through to correct a misconception that comes through gossip? You see, the whole lie that Lucifer has told it is so strong that Jesus says when the devil lies, he speaks of himself. He is the father of lies. The very source of what it means to tell an untruth. And Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning. And he is the father of it. And he looked at the Jews and he says, you are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father, you will do. And so you say, what could I possibly have to do <laughs> to restore? Because you'd have to go to the cross. And you and I do not understand the lengths that Jesus had to go through to undo the wounds of a whisperer. Because one being started a lie that God is not good. That his law is not for us. We are not helped by keeping his law. You know, she tells us in Thoughts on the Mount of Blessing that the angels were even surprised to hear there ever was a law. They didn't even know there was a law. They're like, what, what are you talking about? What law? Only to discover, guess what? There's always been a law. But they did it naturally. But now because of Lucifer, we got to study this thing. But let's look at God's law. Is this thing really good for the all creatures of his universe as a king? Is his government something that we can trust? Can we trust that God is actually a good person all the time? How can we really know God? How can we really know that you're good? You're the one who's omnipresent. You're the one who sees everything, knows everything, can go every place. I can't do that. So how can we know that you, we can trust you? We can't read your mind. So Christ decides, I'm going to go down, and I'm going to undo the gossip of Lucifer. I'm going to come on earth, and I'm going to live a life before human beings so that they can see exactly what God is like. And as Jesus lived his life, to reveal exactly what God is like to such a degree that Jesus could look people in the eye and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know Jesus, you know God. So you wonder, what will God do? How does God feel when I'm caught in adultery in the very act? You know how he feels? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you know how he feels if you've been paralyzed for 38 years because of your own sin? He says, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. How does he feel if I'm a thief on the cross and I've lived my entire life in rebellion against God's government and against man's government, and now I'm suffering execution for my crimes? I'm literally breathing to death. These are my last moments on earth. Death, bed, conversion. How does Jesus feel? How does God feel about me right now as I'm in the electric chair? He says, assuredly, I say unto you, you will be with me in paradise. That's how God feels. And every word that Jesus spoke, every miracle, 
every ministry, every moment of his life was to reveal this very reality, only to discover that Christ was a seven-day Adventist for all intents and purposes. So you ask the question, why should it be a seven-day Adventist? Because someone has to heal the wounds of a whisperer. You know, the interesting thing about the resurrection is that we are told in Maranatha that when we are resurrected in the first resurrection, amen, by God's grace, she says God doesn't even use the same cells that you died with. He uses completely different molecules, is the word. So this whole, doesn't matter if you're cremated, that doesn't matter. He doesn't even use the same molecules to make you a new body. But you know what happens is, if you went down wearing prescription glasses and contacts, when you come up in the resurrection, you don't need contacts. I'm sorry, Sarah, you're out of a job. No optometrist in heaven. Because I went to the grave, I'm blind. I come up, I can see. God doesn't raise you up the same way you went down. That's only true for all of humanity except for Jesus. Because when Jesus rose, he still had the wounds. And Zechariah says someone's going to come to him and say, what are these wounds in your hands? And Jesus is going to say, these are the wounds of a whisperer. Forever to bear the thorns that pierced his brow. Forever to have the cut in his side, the holes in his hands, for all eternity. There's sometimes gossip you just cannot undo its effects. And sometimes we have to continue to live with the wounds of a whisperer. All because of gossip. And let's not kid ourselves. We are guilty of it. I'll be the first one to raise my hand. Said things, shouldn't have said. Told people, I shouldn't have told. Went to a church board meeting, started saying things, demolishing somebody's character, should not have said. You were speaking about things you don't know anything about. You were sharing things, oh, I don't know if you can trust him, I don't know if you can trust her, I don't know about that person, that's why they didn't get the position, that's why they didn't get the job, that's why that relationship never took off. Because somebody in here was running their mouth. And because of that gossip, we think, oh, guess what, the Bible says you're a perverse man. And all we were doing was sowing strife and separating the best of friends. Because you know what? We must understand that all the people in your community, in my community, that are resistant to Christ, you know, they've been getting an earful of the whisperer. When they hear the name of Jesus, they don't think someone they want to kneel down and praise. They think of someone they want to stay very far away from. When they hear the Bible, they don't think, give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. That's not what comes to their mind. What comes to their mind is, this is a man-made book, misogynistic. Put down women. Put down black people, put down slaves, put down this, all these rules and regulations that no human being can possibly keep and follow, that's what they think when they hear the Bible. That's not what we think. But guess what? They're getting an earful of the whisperer. So what lengths might we have to go to undo the wounds of a whisperer? Well, guess what? Christ came down to live a life, to reveal to others this is what Jesus, this is what God is truly like. This is what your maker is really like. So now you want to know why seven-day Adventists? Why did God raise up this church? Why is it that you were born in this church? Because God wanted to give you a head start. 
God wanted to teach you things that other people eventually learn if you go this route, this is the result. And you will come out with a misconception of God. And please believe, beliefs are fundamental. What you think about God impacts everything in your existence. I don't want to follow that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to submit to that. I'm not going there. I'm not saying that. I'm not believing that. I'm not reading that. All because of why? Who you think God is. And because you're getting an earful of the whisper. You think the devil is walking around sitting in a rocking chair? Waiting for the last days to come? He's not an idiot. He's the highest created being. And I'm so good, the devil says, at making people think is their own mind. You think you came up with this stuff? All these heresies are as old as time. But people walk around, oh no, Buddhism, Hinduism has been around for thousands of years. It's just a permutation of Christianity. Because they all came from Noah. So they all have a concept that has eluded us. And so Christ for all intents and purposes, was the Seventh-day Adventist. And Ellen White adds to my comments tonight that Jesus had a holy ambition. And Jesus' ambition was that the world would be better because he lived in it. That was Jesus' ambition. And he thought the best way to make the world better because I lived in it is to reveal the clearest picture of who God is. He had no money, no position, no books, no establishment, no awards, no promotions, no political alliances. He didn't have any of these things. And if Christ was a Seventh-day Adventist for all intents and purposes, then his purpose is to be our purpose. This is why, if this is what a seven-day Adventist is, it's what I see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then here I am calling myself a seven-day Adventist. I should be focusing on revealing who God truly is to everyone in my circle of influence. That's why parenting is the best preparation for ministry. Because to reveal Jesus to your kids, that takes the grace of God. 24 hours a day. See, before I didn't understand. Now I have kids, I understand. I used to think to myself, this can't be that difficult. You know, I had all my plans, right? My little journal book, my vision of fatherhood. When my kids, I will do this, I will take them here. I will tell them, my son, you are da-da-da. And I will guide my son and give him, prepare all these things. I start recording videos for my kids in case I die in a plane crash. <laughs> this is my vision. Only to discover it only takes one second. The kid just said my name too many times. All right, I'm about to snap. Quiet! That wasn't like Jesus. Because you could say God's name 2,000 times. He'll never scream from heaven. When he came to Elijah, and Elijah was running from him, and he was disobeying him, the Bible says he spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. best preparation for ministry if you can reveal Christ to your kids you can reveal Christ to anyone this is what it means to be Seventh-day Adventist people believing lies all around us and people want to argue and say doctrine doesn't matter oh yes it does because there are false doctrines they are lies and when there are lies, they lead to misconception of who God is. So it matters what people believe. Oh, that doesn't matter. We need to focus on salvation. It will impact your salvation. I remember when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. died. And every year, New Year's Day, when the new year comes in, I have a ritual, a tradition that I started. And that tradition is, as soon as the new year comes, I go to YouTube, and I look up the I Have a Dream speech. And I watch the whole speech. 
When I was a kid, my dad made me watch 16 videos about the civil rights movement. And I'm thinking to myself, this is so boring. I just want to watch Speed Racer. <laughs> it's black and white TV, right? <laughs> but now I'm thankful. Because I watch that every year to remind myself where I was. Because my dad's whole point was, this is why you must do well in school. Because there was a time you couldn't go to school because of the color of your skin. So why would you waste your potential? You have the opportunity to go to school and you have the mind. So now I listen to that speech because I get to sit down with little black girls and white girls on the hills of Georgia. I get to go to school with them. And I can remind myself I'm living his dream. And he didn't even live to see it. And when he passed away, they said, man, who's going to take this, this dream up? Who's going to finish this thing? And then it was said of his wife that Coretta Scott King, she took up her husband's work so that the world would not die from grief from losing him so soon. I was so moved by this because as much as I love and respect Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I felt the words were a little bit exaggerated and misapplied. Because I said, what these words should be spoken of someone else. It should have been said, Sebastian took up Jesus' work so that the world would not die from grief from losing him so soon. Only 33 years of that life, we could have used him for 60. We could have even used him for 50, 40, an extra year. So the question was, who's going to take up his work? But you see, it started with Peter, and then he died. Then from the next generation, and then he died. And it was always understood, you're not taking up Peter's work. You're not taking up John the Baptist's work. You're taking up Christ's work. Every single individual was to follow and to say, guess what? This was his goal. To undo the wounds of a whisperer. People suffering because of lies. And that's what it means and what it meant to be Seventh-day Adventist. To clear up people's picture of who God is. It involves doctrine, but it's more than doctrine. So tonight, I wonder If any of us are really willing to take up Christ's work, to realize that Jesus and the Father were the best of friends, and because of a whisperer, Jesus sat on that cross and he said, My God, why have you forsaken me? We were the best of friends. And you know why Christ was alone? Because of a whisperer. Died. Rose. Went back to heaven. So my question is, is there anyone in this room that is willing to take up Jesus' work so that people in your world do not die from grief. This is not about evangelism. This is not about knocking doors, how much glow you can pass out. Forget the numbers. Forget the statistics. This is strictly about people dying to a Christless grief. From grief. For things that you have the knowledge to correct and say, that's not how God is. 
that's not what the Bible is really saying. Yes, you had this past. Yes, you were in drugs. Yes, you made this mistake. But guess what? Let me tell you what God says to you. What he said to the woman caught in adultery. That's what he says to you. I don't condemn you. <laughs> and I'll get rid of all your accusers. Because the one without sin, he can cast the first stone. And there's only one person there without sin. His name was Jesus. And he had no stone. The one who can condemn you does not want to. I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. But there's a thousand people around you who don't even know that. So what are we going to do about it? Or is this just another sermon to close out camp meeting? Nice words, inspiring. But we'll go back to regularly scheduled program tomorrow. So I'd like to make an invitation. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want to begin by first of all asking, is there anyone here like me that says, I need to come to God and ask forgiveness because I've been a whisperer? I want you to raise your hand to heaven. I've been a whisperer, and I want to ask God's forgiveness. You can put your hands down. God sees. My second invitation is for a person that needs healing because they're suffering or have suffered the wounds of a whisperer. Raise your hand. I'm feeling the effects of gossip. And I know I need healing myself. God sees your hands. You can put them down. Now my next invitation is very simple. For that person that wants to make a commitment that Jesus made. And that commitment was, I want the world to be better because I lived in it. That's a radical commitment. I want the world to be better because I lived in it. People will say, this is what the world was like before Sebastian, and this is what the world was like after him. It will literally be a better place because I lived in it. Does anyone want to make a commitment to that? If you do, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. I want to make a commitment to that. I want the world to be better because I lived in, in it. I want to have the same holy ambition that Jesus had. And now that we've stood and say, I want the world to be a better place, please permit me to invite you to one last thing. Because Jesus' answer was, yes, I want the world to be better because I lived in it, but he also had a method. And his method was, I want to reveal God to everyone I meet. And so that means there's aspects of our lives that we have to surrender tonight. Because that's not like Christ. This is going to change our marriages. This is going to change our family dynamics. This is going to change what I do at school, what I do at my job. This is going to change how I behave 10 minutes from now. So I'm not asking for a fluffy commitment. Yeah, that sounds good. I raised my hand. But I'm asking for serious, radical commitment. Lord, teach me how to make you known. Teach me not just to know you, but to show you. Is that anyone's prayer tonight? I want you to kneel right where you are if you say, that's my prayer. Don't just teach me to know you, teach me to show you.
Father in heaven, we've done the devil's business. We've been a whisperer. Many of us raised our hands to say, Lord, we need your forgiveness. And we are so grateful tonight that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That we can come now in reason together with you. That even though the mistake of our gossip can be red like scarlet, but you can make it white as snow. Not just white as snow, whiter than snow. Lord, cleanse us in the blood of Jesus tonight and take us deeper yet. As we offer ourselves to you this night, we stood up because we want the same ambition that was in Jesus' heart. That ambition to want the world to be better because we lived in it. And so, Father, we come before you because Christ believed he could do it. Not by writing books, not by getting offices or making riches, but by learning to know the Lord and to show him. And so here we are kneeling before you, praying, Lord, teach me to know you and to show you. May this be our daily prayer and may you lead us day by day. And Father, when it seems hard and dry, help us to press on cheerily. Help us patiently to bear this responsibility, to bear hardship, to bear toil, to bear, to bear care, and to be able to reveal you in all circumstances and in all relationships of our lives. This is our prayer, and we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.